Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Vegas 34, Calvin Gastelum versus Jared Cannonier. An exciting middleweight fight, but you know what? We won't be talking about that fight or any of the other fights on this main card because this is called the Prelim Primer and it's called that for a reason. We're here to break down the Prelim portion of the card. For those of you who might be new to the show and asking yourself, why why a show about breaking down the Prelims? Why not talk about the exciting fights? The answer is really simple. It's, it's that you probably know a lot about Calvin Gastelum or Brandon Royval or a lot of the guys on the main card. But there are some names on these prelims that you probably don't know. And if you're betting, you're playing daily fantasy sports, or even, hey, you just want to win a pick'em contest, you got to know about those guys. That's how you win those. And speaking of pick'em contests, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Fanatics MMA, the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today. they got fire to bios, records, odds, all right in the palm of your hand while you're making their picks. There's so many cool features to the Fanatics MMA app that I'll be breaking down a little bit later in the show for you guys. But just in the meantime, download that app. That's right. You can get it in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. So download the Fanatics MMA app because you're going to hear some really cool stuff about it a little bit later on. Now, let's get to breaking down the fights. And in order to do so, I need a co-host joining me today from the Fixed Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben, Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining me. Man, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. And as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Austin Lingo versus Luis Saldana. So Lingo lost to Yusef Zalal in his debut. He rebounded with a decision victory over Jacob Kilburn. That was back in January. Saldana, meanwhile, took a decision victory over Jordan Griffin in his April debut. So here's my question for you. Austin Lingo finally getting an opponent who isn't just going to try to spend most of the fight taking him down. He's going to throw hands with him. Does that give you any additional confidence in what he's going to be able to do? Or is this a bad matchup for him on the feet, too? You know, I actually don't think it's it's a terrible matchup for him on the feet, especially after seeing – I know Jacob Kilburn is not – I think Luis Saldani, I should say, is better than Jacob Kilburn. But I really liked what I saw out of Lingo against Kilburn in his last fight, and I think his loss in his UFC debut to Yusef Zawal, there is zero shame in that whatsoever. I think Zawal is the, the real deal. Um, so I actually think Saldana, you know, super long – great variety of strikes, a bit of a sharpshooter, but I actually see Lingo being able to get inside. Um, he has a pretty like pared down boxing game, but I think it's pretty effective. He hits like a truck, at least it seems he does. Um, so I could actually see, I think the longer it stays on the feet, it's more risky for Lingo because Saldana, like I said, is a bit of a sharpshooter. I think he would, he would set up a head kick or some sort of knee or something the longer it stays on the feet. But I think especially early, we're going to see Lingo stepping inside of Saldana's range, landing just basic two, three, three, two combos, um, and then maybe later in the fight, bringing the fight to the bringing the fight to the mat or in the clinch. But I'm actually pretty high on Lingo, even on the feet. I think he's still progressing there. Yeah, and I think your your point about closing the distance is really important on this fight too, because. Like you said, as it stays longer on the feet, as Saldana is looking for the head kicks, is is starting to pick him apart because he is quite a bit longer. I think the fact that he does get inside so well and so easily sets up all those takedowns that we're going to talk about later in the fight. And, and granted, he hasn't shot a lot of takedowns so far, right? Like if you look back at his first two fights, it, it's not like you're going to look back at it and say like, oh, well, you know, he's clearly a guy who shoots a bunch of takedowns. He, he shot a total of three takedowns in two fights. 
but he has landed on two of them, and he does seem to shoot them later in the fight, too. So maybe he goes into this fight knowing that he's not fighting a grappler or a guy who grapples all that often. In Saldana, he uses that wrestling a little bit more to his advantage. I, I like him in that aspect, too. I think he's probably more well-rounded than Saldana, who who did get taken down four times in his last fight. So it sounds like we're both leaning with Lingo here. How do you see him winning this? What's your, your final prediction? I'm going with Lingo by decision, and I do think it's it's Saldana can grapple, especially on the mat. I just don't trust his takedown defense, um, so I think he might find himself on his back a lot. But I'm going with Lingo by a close decision, and I think this fight should be really, really fun. Yeah, and I agree with you that. I'm going to take him by decision here, too. I just don't see him getting Saldana out. And you're right. He is a good grappler, but I will say this. He's going to be in the worst positions all the time. There's mm-hmm. never going to be a time where he's in the better of the grappling positions in this fight, or at least I don't think so. So mm-hmm. that brings us to our next fight, which is Brian Boom Kelleher versus Domingo Pilarte. Kelleher one and two in his last three fights. Those losses came to Cody Stamen and Ricky Simone. He did, of course, beat Ray Rodriguez in very short fashion in between those two. Pilarte, meanwhile, oh and two in the UFC. He took a split decision loss to Felipe Colares. He got knocked out by Journey Newson, although that fight is kind of a no contest, depending on how you feel about weed suspension so uh, I'm, I'm still counting him as Owen too now the question for you here is that Keller seems to only be getting beat at least recently by guys who, who take him to the ground and, and have a clear physical advantage over him in that way is that a game plan you expect Polarte to try to use or be able to implement in any way I think uh, kind of yes and no. I think Pilarte will try to, like, get to Kelleher's back in scrambles. I think he will try to, like, Pilarte is a very competent grappler, and I think he might be even a little too overconfident wading into grappling exchanges with Kelleher. But by that same token, Pilarte is not the guy who's going to be shooting a double leg um, and grinding out Brian Kelleher, similar to how Ricky Simone and Cody Stamen did it. So, um I'm siding with Keller here on the strength of his, like, experience in the UFC. We know he can crack, right? We've seen big power from him. We love his guillotine. I love his guillotine. Um, And I do think that guillotine is going to give, or at least the threat of the guillotine, is going to give Pilarte problems if and when he does try to grapple with Kelleher. Um, The the size difference on the feet, I think, probably gives quite a few people pause because Pilarte is a big dude um, and Kelleher is kind of a short, short bantamweight. Um, but that said, I, I like Kelleher's like well-roundedness here. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that guillotine is really important to mention too. The one he sunk on, was it Ode Osborne? He got it on the, the Ode Osborne one is so nice. Uh, and, and yeah, like if Domingo Pilarte wants to try to take his back the whole fight, I just don't see that going very well, right? Like Kelleher is, is got good enough takedown defense. If you're not, like you said, hitting blast doubles, like Cody Stamen might, or Ricky Simone might. And if you're not, you know, the best guy in the division on the ground, you're probably going to have a little bit of trouble with Brian Kelleher. So yeah, I expect Kelleher to get it done mostly on the feet. Uh, do, do you have a method of victory for him here? Let's go ahead and say guillotine. I was, I wrote down in my notes decision, but now that we're talking about it, I think Pilarte, that long skinny neck is going to get himself in trouble. I like that prediction. And I'm actually going to go slightly different though. I'm going to take him by knockout here. I do think he's got the hands to get it done. And, and he sometimes surprises us with the power. So I'm going to take, uh, Take him here by knockout. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned at the top of the show that there are some very cool features of the Fanatics MMA app. The first one I'm going to tell you about, the scoring system. The scoring system is awesome because 
a lot of times you've probably played in pick'em contests where, hey, getting the getting the fight right gives you some amount of points. Getting the round right gives you some amount of points. Getting the method right, all, all the same amount of points. But not all fights are created equal, right? Sometimes we dig in for that big underdog. He hits, and man, we want to be rewarded for that. The cool thing about the Fanatics MMA scoring system is they reward you based on the Vegas odds. So if you pick a big favorite and they win, you don't get as many points as if you pick that big underdog who instead pulls that off. So I highly suggest checking it out because it gives you your fighter IQ score. And what's cooler than that? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of cool things on Fanatics MMA, and I'll tell you a little bit about them later on. But right now, make sure you download that app. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Bay Malecki versus Josie Ann Nunes. So, Malecki, 2-0 in the UFC. Actually, 2-0 in her whole MMA career. <laughs> she beat Duda Santana in her first fight and Veronica Macedo in her second fight. That last one, of course, was in March of 2020. So, a little bit of a layoff here for her. Nunes, meanwhile, 7-1, making her UFC debut. She last fought in November. She's got a slew of knockout victories if you look back on her record and kind of a, a lesser visible Brazilian regional career. So my question, uh, let's start here. They're both very raw prospects, right? And from what I've seen from Nunes, she kind of just likes to throw some really wild bombs. Now she's going to be giving up seven inches of height in this fight. Is there any chance that like wild, not so technical striking is going to land here on Bay I mean, maybe, <laughs> because, especially because we've only seen Bam Malecki fight, what, three times total, like on TV. Um, if you count that her ultimate fighter uh, exhibition against Leah Letson. Um, so maybe. But that said, like everything we know about fighting right now, I'm I'm leaning towards the slightly more refined Bam Malecki, the taller, longer kickboxer. I think it stays on the feet no matter what. And like you said, we actually – I think I've I've broken down Josie Nunez before. We have. We definitely have. It just rung my bell as I was talking about her being mm-hmm. a power budget for sure. <laughs> and it was like I don't really – you know, I there's only a little bit of like kind of grainy footage about her. And like you said, she just looks wild. Um, so not knowing – like I would never put a large amount of money on this or anything. But just knowing what we know about them kind of on paper, what we've seen from Malecki, I think she can keep this – uh, at her range, kind of win a slightly more technical striking match. And I also think it's worth noting that Nunez, like, doesn't have these decisions in her record. Like, she hasn't been the full 15 minutes. Whereas we just saw Maleki against Veronica Macedo, who's not, like, a world beater, but I think Macedo is pretty good. And we saw Maleki go 15 minutes with her. So I got to lean towards Maleki here just on size and, and, I guess, kind of, like, UFC experience. But Man, it's it's kind of a crapshoot on this one. It's crazy that we're going with the two and zero fighter based on experience, right? Like, that's, <laughs> Truly. A, that's an absolutely wild sense. But you know, I I think I'm going the same way. And, and like Maleki, I I will say this in her two fights, and and if you count the third one with Leia Letson, seems to be making pretty large gains. She looked extremely raw when she fought Leia Letson. Like her striking, she clearly got some like Muay Thai chops in there, but like. It looked like she didn't know how to implement that along with stopping a takedown, you know, and now it looks like she's gaining some of that. I I think she uses the reach enough here to stay away from from Nunez and probably win a decision. Like you said, Nunez doesn't seem like the type who's going to take her to the mat. And if that's true, you know, 15 minutes with somebody just jabbing you in the face might be enough uh, for for Maleki to win here. 
And that brings us to probably a much more fun fight to talk about, and that's William Knight versus Fabio Charant. Knight beat Alex Kamer in his debut, but then was badly out-wrestled by Daun Jung in April. Charant, meanwhile, took a short-notice debut against Alonzo Menafield back in March. He got Von Flu choked very fast in that fight. So here's my question. These guys, obviously very physically gifted. They've got some really strong points in their game. But they also make lots of mistakes, holding on to bad guillotines, uh, slipping to the same trip about 750 times. Who here is the guy you like to capitalize on the mistakes that the other one will inevitably make? I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a small excuse for Fabio Charant here. That that um that von Flu choke. He's a guy who basically like has made his career on guillotines. If you watch his like regional fights, that guy is hanging on guillotines no matter what. So I don't begrudge him too much for hanging on because like he had gotten by with like, you know, you look at some of his previous fights and he would hang on to guillotines even in bottom side control because guys weren't able to take advantage of it. So I give him a slight pass on that on that like super fast one minute Von Flu choke. But um, man. I love the beefiness involved in this fight. I love that both <laughs> these guys are like big um, and a little sloppy. That said, man, I cannot get out of my mind how poor William Knight looked on the ground and defending takedowns in his last fight. Um, I think Fabio Charant could get himself into trouble if he exchanges on the feet. And he does like he's quite hittable. He has fast hands, Fabio Charant, that is. Um, but if he if he hangs out on the feet, I think he could get caught with a shot by William Knight. But like I said, I cannot get out of my head how just completely unschooled William Knight appeared to be on the ground in terms of getting up, in terms of defending takedowns, in terms of everything. So I like Charant here just because he's a bit more of a ground fighter. I think he'll be able to take advantage of that. Um, but I think it'll be a little wild, especially in the first round. Yeah, I agree with you entirely that the Knight's takedown defense is a huge alarm fighting a grappler. Like, you saw him on the Contender Series, too. He fought Cody Brundage, who is a good wrestler. Granted, he's he's quite a bit smaller than, than William Knight. And he took him down, and, and Knight just, like, Derek Lewis-style stood up <laughs> and then landed a knockout blow, which is the danger of William Knight. So I totally agree with you that Sharon has the capability, will likely get some advantageous positions, and I'm going to say he's got all those advantages, and I just don't care. I'm going to take William Knight <laughs> anyway, um, because it just seems like one of those guys who's just going to find that knockout blow in the least likely moment, uh, and, and Charant just needs to slip up once, and it's over. Now, granted, Knight obviously could just slip up once, too, and be subbed, but I'm going to say the big blow gets it done with the big boys, and I'm going to take William Knight uh, by knockout. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, in the first commercial break, I told you a little bit about the Fanatics MMA app. Let me quickly tell you about one of my other favorite features, which is the group function. Look, I, I got friends spread out all across this country who I like to talk fights with. You know, we used to sometimes use Twitter or sometimes use text messages, but that one guy doesn't have an Apple phone. It's all very messy. But the cool thing is the Fanatics MMA app gives it all right in the palm of your hand. You can talk to your friends while looking at their picks and while watching the fights all in one spot, nice and easy. And let me tell you something, there's nothing cooler than that because when my friend wants to brag that, hey, he picked the, that big underdog and he got the big win, I've got it right on the palm of my hand. No, you didn't. You didn't pick that guy. You lost. And we can talk smack right there. And it's a very cool function. I highly suggest checking it and all of the other awesome functions on Fanatics MMA. 
And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Roosevelt Roberts versus Ignacio Bahamundes. So Roberts, after two straight wins in the UFC, was subbed in back-to-back fights by Jim Miller and Kevin Kroom. Bahamundes, meanwhile, lost a split decision to John McDessie back in his April debut. A very close fight. Now, here's my question for you. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts, 6'2". Ignacio Bahamundes, 6'3". Both of these guys fighting at lightweight, which is incredible. Now, both of them are used to having huge reach advantages on their opponents. Which one of you, these two fighters do you think will have a bigger difficulty with a fighter that's going to match their length and height? Man, that's a great question, and I think that gets to the heart of this issue. Anytime you have a tall fighter fighting another tall fighter, it's the slightly taller fighter that I almost always favor. So to answer your question, I think Roberts is going to run into slightly more issues here. Um, and again, that's just because he's used to being the taller fighter. He stands quite tall, um, but he's mostly, you know, he'll kick as well. I like Bahamondes's like variety. He's a very schooled kickboxer. I believe, at least before he, he moved to the United States, he was doing just kickboxing, like competing in a variety of kickboxing fights in South America. Um, so I like the variety. I like that Bahamondes is young, so I think he's still very much improving. And I think the fact that Bahamondes fights so so well with his feet and knees and kick, right? He has a variety of attack that I think the range is less of a factor for him um, because he's going to be striking with his feet a little bit more. I, you know, Roosevelt's Roosevelt Roberts's submission game might give Bahamondes some problems because I think he's still pretty unschooled in terms of grappling. But I think it mostly stays on the feet, and I favor Bahamondes just putting a pace on him and a variety of striking. Yeah, and, and I think you got to the heart of some of what I was thinking before when when you talked about how Roosevelt Roberts is used to being taller, and he uses that height too, right? Like he's one of those guys who almost dodges strikes just kind of by moving his head back and out of distance because when you're that much taller than the guys you're fighting, you know, when he fought Jim Miller, who is, you know, five or six inches shorter than him, it's easy to just move your head backwards just a little bit straight back and not get hit. And I think in this case, Baja Mondays is the guy who's going to take advantage of that, whereas Roberts... I mean, he is a long guy, but he doesn't always fight super long either, you know, because he does like to grapple and he does like to get in on the inside, whereas Bahamundes uses that length a little bit better. So I, I totally agree with you here. I think Bahamundes gets it done on the feet. Do you think he gets the stoppage, though? There's the real question. I'm going to go with with a decision here just because I think he's 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 not really I know he has that incredible knockout on the contender series, but he's mostly like a volume striker. And I think Roberts is, is super, super tough. Yeah, I'll agree with that, too. I'll take Bahamandes by decision here. And that brings us to our last fight, which is Sasha Polotnikov versus Ramiz Brahimai. Polotnikov, after a comeback win in his UFC debut over Luis Koske, he got rear naked choked by Impa Kasangade back in April. Bra- uh, Brahimai, meanwhile, 0-1 in the UFC. He took that debut loss to Max Griffin back in November, where his ear was seemingly om- almost all the way ripped off. So... Here's my question. If you've seen Brahimai on the regional circuit, you know his submission game is, is kind of his bread and butter. He, he's a pretty good wrestler and a damn good submission artist. What chance do you give Polatnikov here to stay off of his back? And if he winds up on his back, is this fight a foregone conclusion? Um, I don't give him a great chance to defend the takedowns. <laughs> I know the thing is, if you look at like when I was preparing for this, I looked at Brahimai's 
last fight against Max Griffin, which is a loss that has aged very well, by the way, given what yeah. Max Griffin has done since then. Um, and Griffin was able to just like stay on his bike the whole time and jab, jab and more jabs. Um, and in theory, I think Polotnikov at least has like, like he's a, he's a high mobility kickboxer. So I think in theory he could do that, but in practice, we haven't seen him successfully defend takedowns very well. Um, so I actually think this is very, very much in Brahimai's favor. Um, and to answer your other question, is it a foregone conclusion? I don't know, but I think he's, I think if Brahimai gets, uh, Polotnikov down once, and let's say they get back to the feet. I think Polotnikov's only going to be more desperate on the feet, opening up his hips for more takedowns. And I think it's just a losing battle if, if he gets taken down once. Even if he's able to get back up, he's going to be open himself up to more takedowns the longer the fight goes on. So I am I'm pretty high on Brahimai here. I was high on him in his UFC de- debut, and I really like him in this spot. Yeah, I actually think I picked him to beat Max Griffin in his UFC debut, too, and, and whoever I was talking to at the time. But, yeah, look, I, I think Polotnikov has looked really good on the feet at times. But, like, to get out-grappled that badly by Impa Kasangade, who seemingly had not really been in a fight where he'd had to use his grappling ever, to my knowledge. Um, he worked at Sanford MMA for 15 minutes and all of a sudden, like, subs Sasha Polotnikov pretty easily. He's fighting a guy with, like, I, I think I looked and I saw all but one of Ramiz's wins are by submission. And, like, to me, that, that that's a huge red flag. You get subbed by a guy with no subs on his record. Then you fight a guy with only subs on his record. And, you know, not for anything, Luis Koske tagged him pretty hard. He had him wobbly in that first round and seemingly was on his way to beating him. So, while Planikov got, like, the big comeback win in that one, I don't have tons of faith in him. So, yeah, I, I think this hits the ground pretty quickly, and I'm going to take Brahimai by submission. Uh, did you did, did you give me a, a way he was going to win, or, or do I still um, do that? I'm going by submission as well. I think it, even in the first five minutes. All right, and that's going to do it with the end of our third round. We hope you guys learned something. We gave you all six prelim fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. Once again, remember that you can check out my co-host on the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben. His name is Benjamin Abrigo. You can follow the podcast at Fix Fights Pod, or you can follow him personally at Benjamin Abrigo on Twitter. Ben, thanks so much for the time, man. Awesome. Thank you.